Well, good morning. Good to see you today. We are so glad that you're here uh, this morning. Looks a little bit different in here, doesn't it? Yeah, look good. You guys like it? Yeah? Make sure and uh, let Beth and Warren and Leon and uh, Brian, as well as Steve, know. Uh, they, they work their tails off to get this done, and so we're, we're, uh, we're super excited about it. We're also excited about what we raised last week for Hurricane Katrina. If you were here, um, as you, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, uh, that there's uh, flooding still going on there. And last week, we raised $2,700 to help towards that. So give yourselves a hand and God a hand. That's awesome. Obviously, there's a lot more that we're going to do to get involved in that, and then we'll find out um, in the coming days and weeks how we can also partner with Florida as well. So I want to make you aware of that. It's been exciting here the last couple of weeks. We had Don't Miss Sunday uh, two weeks ago, and if you were a part of that and you're, you're coming back, we're glad you're here. Last week, we baptized 13 people, 13 kids. Isn't that not awesome? And so uh, what an exciting thing. And today we're also excited. We're starting a new series today called Written in Stone. And we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments. And so if you're looking for something to study or to be a part of in the next few weeks, it's actually going to be an eight-week series that's going to run us through the first of November. I encourage you to read uh, Exodus chapter 20 and the chapters uh, before and after that. But that's where we're going to be landing today is Exodus chapter 20. And really what this uh, topic about, what we're talking about over the next few weeks is the difference between things that are negotiable and things that are non-negotiable. Things that are negotiable and things that are non-negotiable. In our house, things that are negotiable for our kids are what shirt you wear to school, you know, what tennis shoes you wear to school, but what is not negotiable is you have to go to school, right? What's negotiable is you can have Pop-Tarts for breakfast, you can have eggs for breakfast, you can have toast for breakfast, but what's not negotiable is you got to eat something, right? And really, when we think about in our lives, we have things that we have to kind of do fundamentally and other things that there's options for. And what Moses in the book of Exodus is talking to the Israelites about is the fact that they have made some things that are not negotiable negotiable. And they've started to make things that are important in their life, actually not just important, but a God or an idol. And God begins to observe this. And we see it throughout scripture and we even see it in our culture today. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that. But what Moses basically is telling them is simply this. God is not happy with the fact that you guys have made something other than God first in your life. And as a result of that, God's going to essentially share with you some things that are non-negotiable. Things that it's not, it's not an option if you want to put God first. If you want to follow God. And in our lives today, if, if God is just good, and God is just something that we, you know, we're not against the concept of God. We, we like God and we're a fan of God. But there's also things in our life besides that. If that's where we're at, then maybe this message today may not be exactly what you're looking for. But if you would say, man, I want God to be first in my life. 
I want God to be pleased with me and I want my life to be, you know, an offering for God, then there's a certain recipe that we have to follow. And that's essentially what the Ten Commandments are all about. So in Exodus chapter 20, Moses is laying these things out via God for the people, trying to explain to them what's important. And he starts with this reminder. He says, remember, I am the Lord your God. And not only am I the Lord your God, but remember, I rescued you from Egypt. And not just Egypt, but the place of your slavery. You know, a lot of you are complaining out here in the desert because at least, you know, back in Egypt, you got three meals a day and you're, you're whining and you're complaining about all these different things. But if you think back, you were all slaves, he says. And as a result, I rescued you from this and I'm bringing you to a better place, to a promised land at some point. But in order for that to happen, there's certain things that have to happen in our lives. We want life to go a certain way, but we all don't necessarily want the process that it takes to get there. We see these, you know, Facebook has become a highlight reel for people, right? There's apps now where you can actually make yourself skinnier in the app. Have you seen those? You can actually take weight off your face. I've never used it before. I thought about it, but. You can actually make yourself look better with this app, right? Facebook can sometimes become this highlight reel. We've, we've got in this, this place where we've almost made something that's not important more important. And what God is simply saying here is, remember what you were rescued from. Remember what's really important. So he goes on and he starts with the first commandment. He says, you must not have any other God but what? But me. And then he says, you must, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, am a what kind of God? A jealous God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute because when we think of jealous, we think of it as a negative word. Sometimes it is. But God's using it here to say, I'm I'm jealous for you. I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. The other day I was in there watching the Chiefs game or something, which by the way, they won, just in case anybody didn't know that. Uh, But I was watching the Chiefs game the other day and I was trying to listen. I hear Luke going, Daddy. Daddy, 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 what? Pay attention to me. Not right now, son. I know, I said, what do you need? I'm, th- I'm hungry, so I went and got him something to eat. What he was simply saying is, I'm not tolerating your affection for this game, right? And in our lives, when we start to put something or someone ahead of God, God's like, I'm not going to tolerate that. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected. Even children in the third and fourth generations. You ever seen a sin or an addiction that lasts three and four generations in a family? Maybe you know all about that. Even children in the third and fourth generation are those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for thousands of generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it what? Holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day 
A day of rest. We don't know about that in our culture, do we? A day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you. It includes your sons. It includes your daughters. It includes your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners that live among you. And he goes on to say, For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he what? He rested. We're going to talk about that. This is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Parents, if you want to elbow your kids, you can. Honor your father and what? Honor your father and mother. Then you, have a li- then you will live a long, full life in the land your God is giving you. And he goes on to say, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not lie or not testify falsely against your neighbor. Don't covet your neighbor's house, don't covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. He lays all this out for them. And here's essentially what he's saying. Y'all have worshipped created things instead of the Creator. Rather than worshiping the Creator, we, left up to our own devices, tend to worship created things over our Creator. Our Facebook feeds and Instagram feeds and you know Snapchat or whatever, all the other things I'm not real versed on, are full of things that sometimes we love and maybe even can worship, our kids, our grandkids, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our shoes, our house, our vacation, or we worship the fact that we couldn't take a vacation and they could and that makes us mad. We have these things in our life that, that have a place, but what God is saying is things get out of whack when they don't just have a place, they become first place in our lives. And so God starts off, if he's going to you know, have these commandments. He says, here's the first thing. We just read it earlier. You must not have any other God but me. That word that we read earlier, that God is jealous. I remember in high school, there was a, I don't remember exactly the whole scenario, but there was this girl that was in my class and she was obsessed about another guy. I mean, obsessed. And so if somebody else talked to him, she was jealous. Or if, you know, I mean, you know the story. You've had the same people in your school or you know somebody like that. Do you know in a healthier way, God is jealous of us when we put something ahead of him? He made us. The Bible tells us that this is crazy. Some of us, it wouldn't be too hard, but the Bible says he knows the number of hairs on her head. Some of us, we don't have a lot of hair. That may not matter. He knows the number of hairs or the number of hairs my kids tell me I'm losing in the front here on our head. He knows us intimately and he created us for relationship with him first. That's what we've been unpacking the last two weeks in the gym. And God starts with these commandments and says, I'm jealous. He admits that. He admits, I am jealous for you. It wasn't just God in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew. He's talking and he says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve, let's finish it together, only 
So the question that I was asking myself as I was getting ready for today, I kept saying, okay, well, who do I worship first? Because I have to be honest with you, there's certain things that maybe some of us worship that aren't an issue for others and other things that we worship that wouldn't be an issue for somebody else. In my life, there's not some big, nasty, hidden something, but there are some people in my life and some situations in my life that I can just worship and I'll bat first today, okay? I'll just be vulnerable. I'll tell you the truth. Food can be something I can worship. Vanity can be something that I can worship. Ambition can be something that I can worship. Noah, Luke, and Grace can be something that I can worship. Whitney can be something that I can worship. Being the best can be something that I can worship. Now when God is first, all those things that I just mentioned become a whole lot easier to let go of and put in their proper place. But as life goes on and things happen and we get busier and Noah's involved in football and he's practicing now basketball and travel baseball and travel hockey and travel dance and travel ballet and travel synchronized swimming and travel and travel and travel and all these things happen. I mean, they're they're good things. I'm not preaching against the things, but these things happen and then we get in a different season of our life. We get older and our hip hurts and our ankle hurts and our shoulder hurts and this pastor's making me hurt. And when we're young, we think we love this person and they're in fifth grade and we're in sixth grade. and We can't live without each other. And we don't know how we get there, but somehow the pounds add up or our, our anger adds up or frustration adds up. Things happen. We don't know how we get there, but for whatever reason, there's an idol in front of us that we didn't necessarily mean to put there. Most of us in here either are at least open to the idea of God or we wouldn't be here. We have a relationship with him in some fashion. And most of us aren't saying, I want to put my my spouse ahead of God or all these things I just mentioned ahead. But somehow that just kind of happens sometimes, doesn't it? And it's in those moments that God reminds us. We see throughout Scripture, this isn't the first time there's been a natural disaster to try to remind people of who God is. We've seen hurricanes. We've seen earthquakes. We've seen all kinds of different things. 9-11. We see all these tragedies throughout our history. You're saying God caused those things. No, I'm not saying God causes those things. But I am saying that God uses those types of things to draw people back to what's important. I was talking with somebody the other day who doesn't attend this church and most of us wouldn't even know who, who they are. But by nature, this person's pretty vain person. And this whole hurricane situation took place and they have somebody they know that's down there in one of those spots. And all of a sudden... This superficial type of person began to realize, I don't care about those things. I just want to make sure they're safe. Tragedy and crises have a way of reminding us, reminding us of what's really important, don't they? Does God cause it? No. Does God use it? Yep. It's not just me that needs to ask that question. We all have to ask the question, what do we worship first? Because what we all have in common, whether we're atheists or sold out believers, is this. We all worship something. We 
My wife would tell you I have a tendency to worship the chiefs in the fall. That's half funny and half not. And for any of us to be pious and think that we don't have something that has a tendency to be an idol in our life is at a minimum foolish. One of the things that may put some flesh on us to help us understand how to even answer that question, who do you worship, is maybe starting with, who do you worship with your time? Who do you worship with your talents, the things that God's given you? Who do you worship with your treasure? And I'm not just talking money, I'm talking money. But I'm also talking with your treasures, your kids, your spouse, your home. Who do you worship first? We combine the first two commandments today because they're pretty similar. So we'll be looking at the third next week. Commandment number two, he says, you must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. It's, we don't set out most of the time to have something become an idol. But sometimes we can take something we're passionate about and it can begin to consume us to the point that it is now, whether we realize it or not, become number one. You know, I don't know how long, some of you watch the news all the time, so you could tell me for sure. So if I'm wrong, forgive me, but it seems like at least a week or two, maybe longer, they've been warning people in Florida, you need to evacuate, you need to evacuate, you need to evacuate. We've seen this storm coming for a while. They, they know. But there's other things that happen sometimes that we don't have a warning. We don't have the choice to get out. We don't have... It, it, it just... It happens. And many of us, whether we want to go back through the process or not of how we got here, there's things in our life that, whether it was out of the blue or it was a long time coming, it's an idol. And Jesus says in Luke, no one can serve two masters. He's talking specifically about money in this passage, but in general, it's not just money. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Did you know this? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm getting ready to preach. I'm getting ready to say something that the Bible says is true, but it's hard for me to It's hard for me to totally live this out, but that's the goal here, okay? We're not supposed to put people in our lives that we love with all our heart ahead of God. That creates tension for me. I don't know about you, but it creates it for me because there's people that I love with everything that I have. And you are the same. I'm not sounding... I'm not romanticizing this. You're the same way. You know that. There's people that you love. They're sitting next to you or they're living somewhere. You love them with all your heart. You die for them. Same way that Jesus died for us. You would lay down in front of a bus for them. And yet we see Jesus say that we have to love God more than we love the person that you're thinking of. How do we do that? Maybe it starts with the question, what has a tendency to become an idol? I I gave you mine. What are yours? Some of mine. What, What has a tendency in your life 
Maybe it's a good thing. It's not the great thing. It's not the great one. But they're not bad things. Sometimes we think of idols as bad things. They're not always bad things. What has a tendency to become an idol in your life? Every day, we're called to worship God first and foremost. And just being aware and being alert of what can be an idol in our life can help prevent idol worship. It's obviously football season, and if you're not into football, that's okay. But I am. (laughs) And there are days where you go to practice and you don't want to. I was having this conversation the other day. My son Noah is a big guy. I don't know where he gets that, but. So he is naturally stronger than the average kid his age just because he's bigger. And there's a tendency. Remember, what's the tendency? There's a tendency. You remember that kid in seventh grade who's taller than everybody else in seventh grade? And then everybody catches him in sophomore year of high school. But he gets lazy in seventh and eighth grade because he's just taller. And there's a tendency in our life that same way where we're so used to being able to control a situation and we begin to get habits where instead of relying on God, instead of giving excellence so that when something happens, we're ready. We just kind of go through the motions because we can control that. And then something gets bigger in our life or something changes. But we have this habit of being lazy about our faith and lazy about how we where we put God. And now all of a sudden we're in the storm, we're in a situation And we're asking, what happened? But when every day, regardless of Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, we choose to put God first. And then the rains come. And the storms come. And the wind beats against the house. But you put your time in. You're prepared. You've been praying every day. You've been spending time with God. The Bible says the rains blow and the foundation doesn't move and our house stays strong because we built our house on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. But when we give our time to idols, we give our talents to idols, we give our treasures to idols, we give all this other stuff. And then life happens, right? Consider it pure joy when you face trials, not if. And our foundation is not in God. That's why he told the Israelites, first two commandments right out of the gate, you must worship me first, no other idols, because he knew there's more to come. And if we don't get that right, we're going to miss it. So I'm just asking us today, Who's first? I don't always like the answer to that. But would you be brave enough to actually ask that question today? And ask God to point out, Lord, where are the idols? 
And if it's about God's kingdom, if it's about getting better for God, if it's about wanting to be more like Him and less about trying to hear Him scold us, if it's about getting better, then could we take His constructive criticism and say, God, this is an area I need to improve on. Show me how to do that. I went to a conference a while back and Peyton Manning was one of the speakers And until he retired, he asked people to critique him until the day he retired. Because it wasn't about being critiqued, it was about getting better. What if we opened ourselves up every day to God and said, God, would you lovingly critique me? Would you lovingly point out the sin and the idols in my life? Because I don't care about being right or wrong. I just want to be like you. You know what happened? He'd do it. And he would slowly start chiseling and shaping us into who he is. But when we don't want to hear it, we don't ask the question. And so we're stuck wherever we're at. Embrace the process. Every day, commit keeping and putting God first in your life. As we stand together this morning, who do you worship? What has a tendency to be an idol in your life? Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us, that your grace is made sufficient in our weakness. It's made perfect in our weakness. Father, speak to our hearts today. like to pray where you're at if you'd like to come and pray here you can maybe you want to come and just give God praise you can do that as well who do you worship what has a tendency to be an idol Da 
decís sin tu aire space I rest on his unchanging grace in every heart and stormy day my anchor was within the land my anchor rolls within the land yeah. In Christ alone Call out a storm We may strong In the Savior's love And through the storm He is Lord He's Lord first service and I forgot uh, to mention it earlier anxiety and worry can be an idol we can get so consumed with that we know the scripture do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and petition present your request to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds right we know that story we know that scripture But folks, I want to ask you something today. And I remind myself of this because we think of what's going on all around the world. Is God big enough to hear your request and meet it? Is God big enough? Is God big enough, church? God is big enough that we can take our worries. Instead of just worrying, we can worry to God about it. And then trust that He is big enough to take care of it. Sometimes God calls us to pray without ceasing. He's given us a burden. 
But other times it's not a burden. It's an obsession of anxiety and worry. God can give us strength with that. So as we close our eyes and bow our heads today, what do you need to tell God? Maybe it has nothing to do with that, but what do you need to tell God today? Who do you worship first? What has a tendency to be an idol in your life? Just tell God what that is. We all have it. What has a tendency to be an idol? Tell God what that is. As you're confessing that, ask God to replace that idol with himself. What would it look like for you to let God have this? Whatever you feel like is going to fall apart if you don't control. What would it look like if you let God control it? Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. You alone, as we just sang about, are the cornerstone. Father, forgive me. I I can't speak for other people, but sometimes I think that somehow you need my help. Father, may we trust you today. May we trust that you're in control. May we do our part and trust you with the rest. Father, your word tells us that you hear the groans of our heart and that your spirit intercedes for us in groans that people don't understand. Hear our groans, Lord. But may we worship you first and foremost, even above the groans. We thank you. We give you praise for who you are. My prayer is that we would all be aware and choose, Lord, to have no other gods but you. Reveal the idols. Help us to love you first and foremost. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed Sunday.